Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you? Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fits on Fantasy podcast. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. You can find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. My online home is www.thefootballgirl.com. Thank you for joining me this week. The fantasy football season is over. Well, it's over aside from playoff fantasy football, which I know a lot of people are into. But the real fantasy football season ended a few weeks ago, and now it's time to start looking ahead to the 2019 season. And that is what we're going to be doing on this podcast over the next several months. We're going to be talking about player values and rankings and coaching changes and free agency and the draft. And I also want to carve out some time for dynasty talk this offseason. And joining me to discuss these topics will be some of the sharpest sharps in the fantasy football media. And as you know by now, if you've heard other episodes of the Fits on Fantasy podcast, I'm going to be talking about fantasy football with these guests, but not exclusively fantasy football. I want you to get to know these guests a little better. So we are going to swerve into some off-topic stuff, whether it's music or parenthood or food or tennis or baseball or whether or not they believe in the existence of the Loch Ness Monster. There's going to be fantasy football talk, of course, but there's also going to be some off-topic stuff, too, and hopefully you are good with that. I'm sure there are probably some people out there who want only fantasy football talk, but I've also gotten some pretty good feedback from people who've told me that they really enjoy the off-topic stuff. So for now, I'm going to continue to walk the same winding, zigzagging path with our guests. And this week's guest is a man who comes with some newly earned hardware. He is Matthew Hill, the winner of the 2018 Fantasy Pros in-season rankings accuracy competition. No one was better at ranking players during the 2018 regular season. And I'm going to talk to Matthew about his methods and philosophies. And we're going to talk about some player outlooks for 2019. And we're going to talk about some other stuff, too. Um, I mentioned coaching changes a minute ago, and we have seen three new hires already. And one of the teams hiring a new head coach was my favorite team, the Green Bay Packers. Their new head coach is Matt LaFleur, who was the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator this past season. In 2017, he was the Rams offensive coordinator, and he has been a quarterback's coach for the Atlanta Falcons the Washington Redskins, and in the college ranks, Notre Dame. So LaFleur's done some nice work with Matt Ryan and Kirk Cousins and certainly with Jared Goff two years ago. But the hang-up some people have with the LaFleur hiring is that the Titans' passing game was not exactly humming in 2018. Now, there were some injuries, of course, and... uh, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm seeing this through green and gold colored glasses, but I like the hire. LaFleur's the type of coach I wanted to see the 
Packers hire a young coach with an offensive background who's worked in some innovative systems and who should be able to earn the trust of Aaron Rodgers. So I'm going into this with a positive approach. I know uh, Packer fans are sort of mixed on it, but I'm sure they will talk themselves into this one. And as for the other hires, it's going to be nice to have the crusty but charming Bruce Arians back in the league after a short hiatus. He takes over in Tampa. And while I like the Arians hire and think it generally bodes well for most of the primary fantasy contributors in the Buccaneers offense, uh, I mean, look, the Buccaneers had a high-flying, vertically aggressive passing game this past year under Todd Munkin. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the toast of fantasy football for a few weeks early in the season, and Jameis Winston was considered a no-brainer QB1 over the second half of the season. And Mike Evans ended the season on an absolute tear. So I'm not sure just how much helium we should add to the perceived fantasy value of some of these guys just because of the Arians hire. And then we have the Cardinals, who chose to walk the King's Road with Cliff Kingsbury, if you'll pardon the Game of Thrones reference. Really interesting hire. Uh, Kingsbury worked with both Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech. Mayfield would later transfer to Oklahoma, of course. And Kingsbury runs an air raid offense, so I think we're probably going to have to reconsider our positions on Josh Rosen this offseason after a very rough rookie year. And Christian Kirk certainly becomes pretty interesting now. And David Johnson, well, that's going to be kind of interesting because he probably isn't going to be seeing Ezekiel Elliott-type usage under Kingsbury. But hey, we'll get into more talk about coaching hires at another time, possibly even a little later in the show. Right now, however, it is time to get to our guest. Joining me at this time, and yes, that is an homage to the late Gene Okerlund, Joining me at this time is the reigning heavyweight champion of in-season fantasy football rankings accuracy. He just won the Fantasy Pros in-season accuracy competition to end Sean Corner's three-year reign of terror. He is Matthew Hill of Data Force Fantasy Football. Find him on Twitter at MrHill9169. That's MRHill9169. Matt, I'm really not sure whether to bow at your feet or challenge you to a steel cage fantasy accuracy competition at WrestleMania. So for now, I'm just going to congratulate you on your rankings accuracy championship and welcome you to the show. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Pat. So to what extent, Matt, did your excellent showing in the accuracy rankings this year elevate your profile? Did you pick up a lot of followers on Twitter? Did you find yourself getting inundated with start sit? questions every week yeah i mean it's it's certainly good publicity i mean i had i've been on twitter since 2014 and writing and um i'd been right under 3,000 followers at the start of the year and then week two i believe i was fin- finished second for the week um and that you know it's the time of year when normal people are still into fantasy football and before you know, they start to lose interest. So then at that point, it's kind of like, ooh, just everything almost like doubled at that point. Um, and also kind of had this nice base for the year. So I kind of stayed in the top 10 most of the year and just kind of kept growing. And by the time 
things got wrapped up. I was at 10 K. I was like, Oh geez. So like, you know, four years for 2000 and, you know, five months for 8,000. It's just kind of, it's, it's, it's been a blessing. It's pretty cool. Um, just seeing the number and seeing some of the guys that are following me the other day, I was looking at the followers and I saw that, uh, Graham, Graham Barfield was following me. I was kind of like, Hey, hey. I said to my wife, it's like, guess what? It's like, what? It's like, Graham Barfield's following me. And she's like, okay. And it's like, no, he, he like writes for NFL.com. It's really cool. And she kind of like gave me a thumbs up and kind of smiled awkwardly. And like, it's, it's cool. I'm, I'm excited. And she kind of like patted me on the head and, but for us, it's like, whoa, that's, that's pretty cool. I was pretty excited about that. So it's been, it's been a blessing. The fancy pros competition is just a lot of fun. It's been great to be part of it. And it just was, was cool this year. Is it fun to now like, uh, have experienced waking up on a Sunday morning and seeing that you have 21 Twitter notifications with people asking you lineup <laughs> about their lineup, uh, dilemmas. It's, it's kind of nerve wracking. It's like, you don't want to, don't want to mess that up. And it's kind of like, I understand that I'm happy. It's like, enjoy talking football, but it's kind of like, you know, what if I give, give bad advice? And it's just kind of like, you know, it is, it is nerve wracking. I kind of see where I, I couldn't even figure someone like uh, Matthew Berry getting just hundreds, ding, 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 ding. It's kind of like, you know, nerve wracking, but it's fun. Yeah, I think you get to a certain point and you you just simply can't handle the volume. And, uh, you know, I haven't quite gotten to that point yet, but at some some points I start to feel like I'm pretty close to it. Um, so you had done pretty well in the Fantasy Pros Accuracy Competition the past two years. You were 41st in 2018, 29th in 2017. And this, of course, is like out of more than 120, 130 people. So, uh, but you scaled new heights this season. And obviously, you had just a Midas touch on a lot of things. So, what, if anything, was different for you? Uh, did you make any big changes to your process or your philosophies? Or was it really just a matter of doing things basically the same way, but hitting? hitting more bullseyes? Um, I think the, probably the biggest thing uh, was just really trying as best I could to eliminate bias and eliminate narrative. Um, I think like a lot of an, an analysis, we're looking at targets and touches and, and trends, and those are like the big deal. Um, but I think I, I'm constantly on Twitter. I'm always looking for nuggets there, but I think I've really cut down in a lot of the narrative-based reading. I used to just read all the articles I can get my hands on. And it, there comes a point where you just start to, you read 30 articles in a week and all of a sudden you're hearing 30 different conclusions by different people. Um, and so it's when you, you, it just, it gets very easy to get kind of cluttered and get your own opinions kind of, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to narrow in on things. So this year I could just really spend a lot of time on Twitter, a lot of time just looking for nuggets throughout the week and trying to eliminate that. Um, I am originally from San Diego um, so I grew up a Charger fan. Um, my family was big season ticket holders. I was kind of like our one luxury growing up. And uh, we, you know, there are times where we didn't even have a phone. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. But we, it's like, do we have a phone or do we cancel the season ticket holders? And we didn't. They would hold on to those Charger tickets. So we were like, not just Fairweather fans. We were like these big Charger fans. And so then when they left LA, I kind of like, really wasn't much fun watching football anymore. I was almost like, do we even want to be part of fantasy? I'm like, well, I still, I still love this, this process of getting ready. I enjoy doing the research through the week. It's still, it's still my fun. It's still what I enjoy doing. Um, I just don't watch as much games. And I almost think like that becomes almost like a positive. Like I don't have 
the biases of cheering for a favorite team or just watching some games and seeing some players. Um, if you only watch some players play, then it's like, it's like, Ooh, that guy's really good as opposed to not seeing some other players play. Um, if you're really going to be watching film, you should probably be watching film of every single team every single week. Um, and I'm not doing that. I don't have time for that. And I didn't really have much desire to, especially kind of in that current state of fandom. I just, I'm not a fan of a particular team anymore. Um, so I'm watching less, less film, but I'm still looking at more nuggets of stats and matchups and um, trends in that regard. Um, so really it seems like a negative, like you're watching less, but it's more like I'm paying attention to just raw numbers as opposed to letting biases take place and trying to come up with my own conclusions. Um, and those conclusions I'm looking at, either they're going to validate it or it's going to challenge what I've already thought kind of going into the week. And that's where my adjustments came from there. But that's really how it is. I think in the, uh, fantasy community now, especially with the people who, lend advice is that there's this uh continuum between film and data and you know different analysts fall on different points of that continuum but uh you know i think that a few years ago i started doing some writing for four for com, the website owned by josh moore and which is home to my friend john paulson who himself is a past fantasy pros accuracy champ and in a conversation with josh and john about doing rankings Every week, they told me that they noticed I had an especially good read on Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, the former running back for the New England Patriots and Cincinnati Bengals, which I found kind of amusing because I didn't feel like I was particularly in tune with the biorhythms of Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. Uh, when you do these weekly rankings, occasionally there are times when you seem to get in a rhythm with players and have an especially good read on them from week to week. I guess I've, I've found that occasionally happens. Were there any certain players you had an extraordinarily good feel for this year? Guys, you just seem to consistently have a good read on. Um, I mean, I think that's one of the, it sounds like that is kind of one of the keys to having a successful year, just kind of knowing when to go all in on your rankings. Um, you know, I, I know week 10, I finished uh, number one on the week. I was um, thinking back to that week. The, that was a Thursday night game between the Steelers and uh, the Panthers. And I believe that Roethlisberger was at an expert consensus ranking of like six or seven. And that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because um, he does always seem to perform well at home on those night games. Um, I, I think... Uh, Breeze was on the road and he was ranked higher than him. I think Cam was ranked like third. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to push my chips in here. Um, and so I pushed him up. I think he had him ranked second. Um, and he throws for five touchdowns. Um, with that, you know, I think something I see too is that um, people will have quarterbacks ranked higher that particular week, but then they'll not make the adjustment with the receivers, which is kind of a DFS thing. I mean, with if you're looking at, uh, locking in a quarterback you're usually locking in their top receiver you know the, the stacking everyone knows to do that with uh, dfs and it's kind of some summer way with this contest um so i had locked in his receivers locked him up high and i think that really made a big splash there um and that was kind of some of the weeks where i performed well i really started with those quarterbacks and seeing not being afraid to push back the guys who have been in the bottom half all year but have good matchups when you have you know, the Sam, that Sam Donald run at the end of the year, I was kind of 
high on him too. He had those good matchups. Um, Robbie Anderson being the beneficiary as all the other receivers were going down, not being afraid to push them up. Um, so I know the the fancy pros contest is kind of this you know this own little thing between 140 different analysts. But I think for people that follow it, I mean, it definitely has some principles that could be applied. Um, I think a lot of that kind of comes with the DFS when to when to go all in with your bankroll or not all in, but when to push the chips in. Um, if you're working with blind bid dollars, I think that's a good time to know when to splurge on that and when to hold back. I think all those keys are kind of keys to having a good good run throughout the year and not getting totally tilted when you have a bad week and making a bunch of stuff that you're not really thinking about doing the next week to try to jump up. It's just kind of staying level-headed throughout that as well. So, so yes, yeah, as far as going back to that question, I think just – the quarterbacks, the quarterbacks and their uh, corresponding receivers kind of having a good feel for when to push those up. Yeah, and Darnold is really a pretty good example because I think that's he offers a pretty good lesson about when to recognize something as, you know, a, a trend, a noteworthy trend, uh, the way something is, uh, you know, decisively moving versus what's just an anomaly and, you know, how many, how many, different results does it take before you start believing that the, you know, the second, that the transition phase, that it's the new normal. And, uh, you know, I, I think I was maybe a little too hesitant to buy into the Darnold turnaround. I would, ima- I would imagine with your uh, running back rankings, though, you're kind of quicker to buy into to Philip Lindsay. I kind of held off on him all year. It's like, the guy is too little. Denver's offense isn't any good. And I know that you finished with those number one RB rankings. So I know you're on top of that, I would imagine. That- oh, thanks, man. Well, yeah, I was I was quick to buy into him on uh, as far as fantasy, the, the rankings every week. Unfortunately, I was not quick enough to buy into him in free agency in any of my leagues. So I kind of <laughs> missed too. out on I the do. actual ownership. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. me both. So how much time do you typically spend putting together your initial weekly rankings and how much, how often do you make updates during the week? Yeah. Tuesday, Tuesday, I'm usually just laying low. I don't usually get my initials out until, until Wednesday morning. Um, Tuesday, I'm just kind of catching my breath and trying to take stock of what went right and what went wrong from the previous week. Um, you know, Tuesday morning, um, when I'm at work, I'll try and when I get some free time, I'll take a look at those quarterbacks, um, kind of arrange those a little bit, maybe if I have some time to get the tight ends. And then when I get home, spend another half an hour, hour, just kind of making the adjustments with the with the wide receivers, um, kind of adjusting where I had the QBs. Um, and that's kind of the initial. Um, Thursday, then the next day, as news comes in for that Thursday game, I'll really spend some time just focusing just on that. I won't mess with any other, any other games. Um, but then the big one then is is the the Saturday sweep, um, as I'm sure most of the other analysts do. It's just that's when you sit down. That's usually a couple hours where I'll spend 10, 15 minutes per game just really going through that, um, you know, reading up on certain players, seeing what's going on with that. Um, I know when that last week I'm, I'm out here in Houston, we traveled to, to San Diego over Christmas break with my kids, four kids in the car, and it was uh, – we arrived in Arizona. We had one little stop over before we went to San Diego. The next day, we get to we get there like eleven o'clock at night to put the kids to bed, and I leave. And my wife's like, "Where are you going?" I'm like, "Going to the lobby." She's like, "Why?" It's like I need to work on these on the sweep. I need, I need to get this done. You know, I'm, I can't just ignore in the last week. And 
Oh, it's crazy. I get back to the room at like one o'clock in the morning. I was in the lobby for two hours, but I mean, that's, that's the important thing. I mean, you can't just, you know, you can't make those initial rankings and leave them alone. You got to keep you know, adjusting and tweaking as, as news comes in. And that's probably the bulk of it is that, that big sweep on Saturday. And of course, like everybody else, you get your inactives out and make a few adjustments here or there on Sunday morning. But, but the, the bulk is there on the weekend, the, the nights before. And um, that's the way it's working for me. Yeah, no, making this accuracy championship even more impressive is the fact that you were able to maintain your focus all season with a house full of rugrats. So you mentioned having four kids. What are the, the ages? We've got 11, 9, and then soon to be 7 and 5. They're still 6 and 4, but about two years apart on each of them. A lot of energy in the house. Oh, man. I only, <laughs> a lot, a lot. Yeah, I would say so, man. <laughs> I mean, I only have two, and uh, they're 13 and 11, so a little older, but I still have days where I'm so frazzled that I can barely remember my own name. Um, <laughs> Matt, uh, pinned to the top of your Twitter timeline is a post about cystic fibrosis and your family's experience with it. Can you share that story? Um, sure. We, My youngest... Um, she was having trouble gaining weight when she was born. Um, and it just, it just, things weren't, it just wasn't right. Um, they went through some tests and she determined she had cystic fibrosis, um, which we didn't know a whole lot about. Um, and, and so then we, we sent the other three for testing on that and ends up that my oldest also had that, um, and like I said, we didn't know a whole lot about it. And I think that's actually pretty normal because there's only 30,000 kids worldwide that have that. Um, so happens two of them are mine. Um, but it's a, it's a degenerative lung disease. And basically their lungs uh, create this sticky mucus within their lungs. So like when you're kind of on the tail end of a cold and you just have that stuff that you want to hack up, that's kind of like the way their lungs are all the time. So if they're at school and somebody has just a cold, they're likely to just get it stuck in there. So it's the the typical stuff that we would have with as far as colds go. It affects them more. It lasts longer. But the real dangerous stuff is the bacteria in the environment um, that doesn't do anything for us, um, could be life-threatening for them. Um, my daughter um, has been hospitalized three times now in the last year and a half. And my oldest um had avoided so far throughout his life and all of a sudden he had his first hospitalization um last month um so 52 days of being in the hospital um just because they've contracted some of these bacteria that will quickly kind of destroy their lungs um so it's just weeks of being hooked up to ivs getting the oral antibiotics trying to get that bacteria out of their system um and those are obviously the very stressful wife staying at the at the hospital with them. Um, and that's obviously the dangerous, very scary part, but just the day-to-day part is also something that's very stressful because it's, it's, it's constant. There's not a break from it. Um, every day my son's getting up when it's dark hour before we are really so they can hook himself up to a vest. There's this vest that's kind of like a computer tower. And there's these, these cores that come through that attach to a vest and it shoots 
air pressure alternating pop 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 and it kind of shakes their body and that loosens up that that junk in their in their lungs um, they'll have some mists on their face different kind of mists usually the mists are about 15 minutes at a shot um, that have different antibiotics in them to kind of keep keep stuff killing keep, keep stuff going in there so it's like every day twice a day when they're healthy just to try and maintain that um, and it's birthdays christmas travel um you know like when we're traveling like i said to san diego last month we would just it's it's 21 hours on the road but it took us three days each time because we would have to have an extra couple hours in the hotel just to get those in because we don't want to miss them we don't want to we don't want to miss like one day of treatments because it's we don't want any sort of damage occurring to their lungs um and i appreciate you asking about that just because um i don't say that to feel sorry for me as a parent or for my kids what they're going through is just part of what also stinks about is just kind of this it's this disease of loneliness um because there's no support group for cf because of the bacteria um things they're so worried about bacteria being shared that the people with cf need to stay six feet away from each other um at all times so when there's like a walk there's like a great stride walk which is kind of like the cf equivalent of race to the cure when they had the great strides walk the kids that are there that have cf wear special shirts or a bandana so that they know that they're there and they can avoid each other so there's no like support group because they're not allowed to be in the same room together um when they're at the hospital there was like this is like the thing that makes me the most mad um they had a um uh comfort dog at the hotel or at the, at the at the hospital they would go around you know go around the kids would pet them and stuff and they go to the cf floor and the comfort dog would have to be outside of the rooms for each of the kids and the kids would just look at them and wave at the dog because they can't even pet the comfort dog because they don't want them breathing on the dog and maybe exposing other kids to bacteria so it's kind of like can't even pet the dang dog at the hospital um so that's oh, what's frustrating to me it's just like isolation isolation no most people don't know what the disease is um just a lot of questions about it and it's just kind of like if the more people know about it the better because i mean it's even with uh trying to find a cure because so many few people have it there's no government funding sent for it um any sort of cure would come from people making private donations and if people don't even know what it is or know it exists then i'm certainly happy to be open with it and share about it and and certainly open to share with people that our own parents that have they're going through the same thing as um you, know, you you will develop empathy real quick for different people not necessarily even parents that have kids with cf but just parents with kids with different uh things are going through or even not necessarily even related to disease just become more aware of people going through stuff that you don't necessarily that aren't real apparent you just kind of see stuff once you're a parent of kids with uh with a chronic disease like this well thanks for sharing that matt uh i know that can't be entirely easy to talk about and uh you know I'm, i can only imagine how difficult it is to live with uh and when i tweet out the link to this episode i'm also going to piggyback it with a post that has a link to a site where you can make a donation if uh you'd like to land a few jabs in the fight against cystic fibrosis um and if you're listening to this podcast maybe you've seen that link already and in lieu of my frequent entreaties to rate and review the fits on fantasy podcast i am instead going to issue a plea to make a small donation if you're listening to this to help fight cf and uh so matt obviously this disease has forced you to adapt to 
difficult circumstances, but based on an earlier conversation we had, it sounds like you've had some experience adapting to radically changing circumstances. You mentioned that you were originally from Southern California and you live in the Houston area now, but I understand there were some big moves in between. Yes. Um, and, and one more thing on the uh, link, we do have, um, we just now have the um, website set up for our own, um, we talked about the uh, Great Strides Rock earlier, about how that's kind of like the CF equivalent of Race of the Cure. Um, that is just now going to be posted. So you can be one of the first to donate to our site. That goes directly to the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Um, yeah, that'll be linked up and pinned to, to my deal there. But that uh, just came up um, in the last couple of days. We were able to activate that for the new year. So that'll be up there and the my kids' stories will be updated. So I do appreciate that a great deal. Just dropping by and taking a look at some of my kids' pictures and reading their stories. And again, if you're able to make a donation, that'd be awesome. It's going to go straight to the uh, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. So I appreciate that. Um, but yes, as far as moving around, um, I have been around a little bit. So I did grow up in San Diego. Um, haven't been there. I, I moved away at 12. So it's been a while since I've lived there, but that's always going to be my hometown. But um, I was in Portland as a teenager. I went to college in Nebraska. Um, my wife and I taught in Colorado, um, taught in, in St. Louis, and now I'm in Texas. Um, and Texas, you, you know, you're in Texas. I think wherever you're at, you kind of, you're in Colorado, there's mountains, you know, you're in Colorado, you're in San Diego, there's beaches, there's a feel to it. You're in Portland, there's, there's trees everywhere. There's a vibe to St. Louis. Uh, but Texas, you're just always everything. Everything lets you know that you are in Texas. You walk around and everything's named Texas. Um, it's the first place I've ever taught at where when we we start off the day, the, over the intercom, they say the pledges. Um, but it's not just the, the United States pledge. It's a pledge to the Texas flag. And I don't know if, that, if that's... I don't know if you've ever lived in a state where we've pledged allegiance to a state, but that's that's a new one for me. Yeah, we start off. We I, the first day I did, they're like, "Okay, pledge allegiance," and we say that, and all of a sudden, honor the Texas flag, and it's like a pledge allegiance to the Texas, one state under God, indivisible. And I was like, "Huh?" And I was just kind of a little confused by that, but it's like every Tex you've you've met Texans, and they're just very, very into being Tex from Texas, and we all love our hometowns, but it's just kind of like it's a different culture. It's it's every 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 place has a different vibe. Everybody has you know, a hometown, but it's like, it's almost like a whole different world out here. And it very much is so, and it's, it's different, it's different, but, um, it's also, you know, it, and I'm not, you know, being mean to Texas. Cause I mean, it's, it's different in a lot of good ways too. When a kid gets in trouble in my class, um, every other place I'm like, Hey, talk to me after class and after class kid comes up rolling eyes, this and that here in Texas, I come up and it's like, yes, sir. Sorry, sir. Yes, sir. Sorry, sir. I'm like, okay, well, that's, don't, don't mess up in the first place, but yeah, I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. And a lot of yes, sirs, a lot of, a lot of friendly people. So that's been real positive. It's just, just a little different out here, but <laughs> maybe I need to take my kids down to Texas for a little while. <laughs> um, once again, my guest this week is Matthew Hill of data force fantasy football. Find him on Twitter at Mr. Hill, nine, one, six, nine, Matt, let's turn to fantasy football. The Buccaneers, are hiring Bruce Arians to be their new head coach. Uh, to what extent does this 
boost your level of enthusiasm for Jameis Winston, Mike Evans, some of the other components of this passing game? Um, I mean, I think it's only can only be a positive thing for those receivers. Um, I know there's been a lot of initial concern about OJ Howard, whether or not that's going to be a negative for him. Um, you know, I've, I think one of my biggest misses of this year was um, Jimmy Graham up in Green Bay. I was thinking it just made too much sense that uh, Jory Nelson was leaving and he was going to be tied to Aaron Rodgers. And I still thought he had something left and it just, it didn't work out because they just don't use the tight end. And I was trying to switch that narrative and it it made sense that Graham was going to produce and he didn't. Um, I'm worried that's going to be the same thing in Tampa Bay with Howard. And obviously Howard Young, he's he's got a bright future. He's in a much better shape right now athletically. He's he's on the upswing of his career, um, but you still can't necessarily change what coaches are known for. And they're and he's he's definitely not Rob Hauser or you know Jermaine Gresham. He's you know that Bruce has never had a guy that's as athletic as him. But at the same time. You know he's also going to be installing things for for potentially the best wide receiver duo in football. Um, I don't know if Evans and Godwin are quite at Diggs Thielen level yet, but they're they're pretty darn close. And so between those two, if they establish some sort of running game, I don't know whether they're going to look they're going to get some free agents or what as far as their ground game goes. But there might not be a whole lot left for Howard. So I think that's kind of the biggest takeaway is to see how things are going with that throughout this preseason and offseason and you know, maybe temper those expectations initially and see if things change for that or not. Yeah, that O.J. Howard story is going to be an interesting one to follow. And it kind of makes me think about uh, when the Bears brought in Mike Martz to be their offensive coordinator and had Greg Olson on the roster and wound up trading him for a song uh, mm. for a handful of magic beans just because Mike Martz did not use a tight end. And it didn't work out too well. Yeah, Bears fans are still angry about that one, as I can attest, uh, living here in Chicago behind enemy lines. Um, so, yeah, I, I wonder if Martz is going to find a way to you know, use Howard, this athletically special tight end, and a guy who's you know, potentially going to be a, a phenomenal player, or if he's just kind of going to go to waste or not be fully maxima- maximized in – that offense. Um, Matt, we just saw Marlon Mack trample the previously impregnable Houston run defense, as I'm sure people down there were upset about. Uh, where do you think Marlon Mack should go in next year's drafts? Yeah, I mean, I think the jury's still out a little bit. I mean, you there's still those Le'Veon Bell rumors, you know, when they have all that cap space. I don't think those are going away just yet. Um, so you will kind of have to have a little bit of a holding pattern there, um, which is probably going to be fine unless you are somebody jumping right into best ball leagues, which which I am. That's kind of something where in my wheelhouse I love. I love MFL 10s. I love the draft masters that uh, Data Force puts out. Um, so I'm going to have to make a decision on that pretty quick. But, um, you know, for – for people waiting, I think we need to see what's happening with Bell first. Um, there's a little bit of concern the fact that um, he only broke two receptions in the game all year once. And that was week 17 where he caught three balls for negative one yard. Um, so he hasn't been used too much in the passing game. Um, 
you know, I don't, I mean, obviously Hines disappeared last time we saw him, um, but they're still going to use him. So there still is a little bit of concern on that uh, PPR front. Um, I'd say currently right now, if all things remain the same, he'd be just outside my top 10, right around Dalvin Cook range. Um, but again, that's going to be very fluid. It's going to be very fluid this offseason to see where we're at. Um, I mean, one of the biggest takeaways I thought from that game as well is just the importance of offensive line. Um, just seeing how badly every time Watson went, went back to pass, it was just he was getting hit, whereas Luck was just upright the whole game. Um, and we kind of knew that was coming with Indy. Had all that um, movement with offensive line this offseason. They could tell that was a big priority. I think mean, the concerns with Indy was just – you know, people weren't quite sure who the running back was going to be. They weren't quite sure if Luck was going to be healthy or not. Um, but obviously, if Luck was healthy, or he, he he got his health continued to get better throughout the year, and you know, it really seemed like Mac was taking that lead role, especially on early downs, and it just kind of all looked good in this this past game. So, big takeaway this off season is when a team improves their offensive line, you should be probably paying attention to it. That's going to be one of those things that kind of separates you from other owners. Um, people always be looking at the skill guys for good reason, but you know, when teams make those offensive line moves, we saw with with Indy this past game that's a, it's a big deal. So, be paying attention for those. Yeah, and I know the continuity of offensive lines is is somewhat unpredictable from year to year and uh you know even offensive lines that stay relatively stable in terms of personnel can have sort of wild performance swings from one year to another but this indie offensive line has been a work in progress for a while now and uh you know it's the the fruits of uh all the all the investments bore fruit this year and this has just turned into such a road grading offensive line and uh you know also the they protected Andrew Luck so well too. So, I mean, I, I definitely think that enhances max value moving into 2019. And I agree with you that he's just, you know, a borderline RB one, almost maybe just high end RB two. Um, mm-hmm. One guy I think is, is kind of hard to value for 2019. Tyler Lockett really had this remarkable season in terms of efficiency. And I think he's going to be tricky for next year because of the touchdown rates and the fantasy points per target just being through the roof this year. So what do you think is the proper viewpoint to take with Lockett? Should we beware of regression or should we look at 2018 as an indication of just how good this guy is? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, certainly regression has to be on the table when, I mean, he was finished 18th in PPR points. Um, but 37th in receptions. I mean, he was 37th in the league amongst wide receivers with only 57 receptions. So the bulk of that, those points are coming from 10 TDs. You got 10 touchdowns off of 57 receptions. I mean, that's unsustainable. Um, at the same time, he's 26. He's going to be 27. Baldwin's going to be 31. He's coming off his worst season since 2014, especially from touchdowns. Um, Obviously, he was banged up, but he did he did work through 13 games, which over the summer didn't seem like he was going to get 13 games out of him. Um, so, you know, it does seem like he is for sure trending up, where his you know running mate Baldwin is trending down a little bit. Um, but unless that offense changes, I don't know how many more targets he's going to continue to get. Um, so, there's the case for him. 
trending up in the fact if his, if his targets go up, but if the offense remains the same, if they continue to pound it, um, and if that touchdown rate um, regression comes on, then you know I think keeping around the 18th again, keeping him as a mid to low range wide receiver two, that's probably going to be what you're going to be hoping for. I don't think he's necessarily going to be a high end wide receiver two, or even certainly not a low end wide receiver one at this point because I don't just don't see that case being there with the offensive identity that the Seahawks have at this point. Um, certainly room to grow if there is a big change in philosophy which we don't see being on the horizon that that could be there but i'm just i'm not seeing him as anything more than a wide receiver two at this point yeah i think you kind of uh pinpointed the key here and that's whether the offense does open up a little bit next year and you know if, if brian schottenheimer is still the offensive coordinator maybe that's a little hard to imagine but you know the seahawks were so outrageously run heavy just being the only team in the league that ran the ball more than they threw in 2018. And uh, you just wonder if there's at least some sort of dead cat bounce coming in the way that, you know, they operate and, and there's a little bit of uh, regression to the mean. And I, I think regression is, that is going to be a word used in conjunction with Tyler Lockett's name quite a bit in the off season. But um you know, anyone sounding the regression alarm on his rate stats, I think should also, you know, at least pay lip service to the possibility that Seattle might throw it significantly more or at least a little more than they did in 2018. Um, Zach Ertz had a fabulous season this year, but we have seen now that Dallas Goddard is a really good player in his own right. So, when trying to assess Ertz's value for 2019, does Goddard's presence concern you at all? You know, it, it really doesn't. Um, obviously, when a tight end breaks a single-season record for catches, you can't expect him to duplicate that. You would figure that he will catch a little bit balls just on regression alone. Um, but I'm not necessarily thinking the regression is going to come from Goddard stealing snaps from him as this as the the only tight end on the field. Um, I think they've been getting him on the field because he is one of their better offensive weapons and they're not afraid to have two tight ends going at the same time. Um, if you look at Goddard's snap share, I mean, he was over 50% um, every single week starting week 12. He just was on the field half the time um, and it still didn't really, I mean, Goddard still, or Ertz still finished with 116 catches. Um, one of his highest one of Goddard's highest snap shares was uh, week 16, where he was on there for 16, 60% of the snaps. And Ertz still came in and caught um, 12 balls for 110 yards and two touchdowns. Um, so they definitely can coexist. Um, I don't think Goddard's stealing tight end snaps. He's just on the field at the same time. It's just one of those deals where he is one of their best receivers. It just happens that he plays the same position as Ertz, but they're getting them both on the field at the same time. Um, I just don't think they're going to be taking things away from each other. It's just they're complementing complimenting each other. So I don't think, I think the argument would be like, oh, well, they have another strong wide receiver. It's going to take snaps away from Ertz. Like people, no one's saying that about wide receivers, but for some reason, because Goddard is listed as a tight end, people are like, oh man, Ertz's productions are going to go down because of him. Well, no, they're going to play at the same time. It just so happens that, you know, Jeffrey and Ertz and Goddard, I mean, those are the guys that are going to want on the field. And depending on what happens with Tate, um, it could, I mean, those are going to be the three guys going to be on the field next year. Um, they're just going to be using him more and more, but still going to Ertz as their primary receiver. Now, I know it's early. 
but have you already identified some players you think you're going to be heavily invested in next year? And, uh, you know, really in just a couple of months when the M- MFL rooms start opening up. Yeah. I mean, when looking at heavily invested players, I mean, it is that, that is that lens I'm seeing it through is when, uh, those draft, uh, draft only leagues start kicking out. Um, and I have a feeling that with all the people worried, you know, with the Steeler uniform and the disaster the Bell was and the way that things ended for Antonio, I think he's going to be just a screaming value. Um, I was already thinking with how heavy everyone's going to be invested in running backs that first round that Antonio is going to slip to early second. I could see him opening him up in the late second round of these early drafts, um, which I'll grab all day long. I'll grab a whole lot of late second Antonio Brown. Um, even if he ends up going somewhere else, he's going to go somewhere else and be their main receiver. Um, people are, especially in dynasty, people seem to be a little bit off on Antonio because of um, the drama at the end of the year. But if he goes to San Francisco, all of a sudden he's got a younger quarterback and not to worry about Ben aging or retiring. Um, so I think I'm not worried about this offseason stuff with Antonio Brown. I think it's only going to cause him to slip. Um, I think fourth round, I think Carrion Johnson might last that long. I might be way off there. Um, but late third, early fourth, just because he – it's because of the whole um, LeGarrette Blunt nonsense and because he ended up getting hurt. Um, he, people might still be slipping on that, but I think his floor is going to be pretty high. So if he's last in late third, early fourth, I'm going to have a whole lot of second Antonio and fourth round carry on. Um, I'll probably be taking some stabs in the teens with TJ Yeldon um, in those early drafts um, just because of him being a free agent and being able to catch some passes on the off chance he gets somewhere and has a uh, – you know, more than a pass catching role. Um, that might totally just not work out, but I think that's a, a thing I'll take on those early drafts. It's just trying to identify some pass catchers that are going to fall somewhere once the free agency period um, starts up. Um, so I'll probably be looking at him. And even like Dallas Goddard, as we talked about, I think as long as his ADP sounds remains in a decent spot, taking him as like a second or third tight end in the teen rounds, if he's, if he's staying there, um, I'll have a lot of him as well in these best ball leagues. Have you thought about any guys that you're probably going to be fading next year? Um, I mean, I hate to say this guy because he kind of saved my skin because when I talk about drafting early, when I was drafting early last year, I think some of my highest owned players were, were guys. Um, I had a lot of Baldwin before the, the injuries came up. Um, I had a lot of Penny before it became apparent he wasn't going to be leading the backfield. Um, so the one guy that kind of saved me um, was some late round James Conner earlier up. So Conner saved me, but um, I probably will be fading him at first round value. I keep hearing that he's going to be you know, a first rounder this year on redraft because um, a lot of people have good vibes like I was thinking about it. I mean, he really was fun to own this year and saved a lot of my leagues. Um, but I just, I worry how that offense will look. Um, I know much of Connor's production was his receptions. He had uh, four more receptions in nine of his first 12, uh, first 12 games. Uh, when, he's, when he came back, um, Samuels didn't go away. Samuels actually had eight targets in that week 17. Um, so I think Samuels did has earned himself a passing down role. So if all of a sudden Connor's going to be conceding passing down work to him, and if all of a sudden Bim takes a step back, I mean, Roethlisberger, by most 
by most uh, formats was like the number three quarterback in, in uh, fantasy last year. You know, just a fantastic year um, that doesn't get, didn't get enough press. But if there, if he takes a step back at age 37, if he concedes passing down work to Samuels, um, I'm a little bit worried that he's not going to be able to return that first round value. Um, so just as a first rounder, I think it's just a little too rich for me. I enjoyed having him this year, but I'm just not going to spend a mid first um, or even a late first on him at this point. Yeah, good call on that. I I think that people seem to have the belief that the Steelers are going to go with the bell cow running back model forevermore. But, um, you know, I think the genie is sort of out of the bottle with Jalen Samuels, uh, you know, showed how good he is, showed how versatile he is. And I do think like you, that he is going to have a significant role going forward. So, you know, anyone pinpointing Connor as a mid to late round first round option might be overreaching just a little bit. Um, Let's play a game to end the show, Matt. I'll give you two players I have ranked pretty similarly in putting together my preliminary 2019 rankings, and you can tell me which guy you like more for next year. And for argument's sake, we'll say that this is half points PPR. Okay? Okay. Um, Philip Rivers or Carson Wentz? Um, I'll go Rivers. I like the support, and I kind of want to see – a full year of health from Wentz before I would take him ahead of Rivers. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm kind of leaning towards Wentz on that one, and I know Rivers had a you know really good year. I do worry a little bit about when he uh, you know starts to hit the age cliff that we've seen some guys you know like the, the fact that he and Eli Manning were part of the same draft class, and we have seen Eli erode to the point where, uh, you know, he's just not even an effective starter anymore. But, um, you know, and I, I think people are a little more down on Wentz maybe than they should be. But uh, that that is a tough call, I think, for our, for next year. Uh, Dalvin Cook or Philip Lindsay? Um, I'm going to stick with what I said earlier and still not appreciating Philip Lindsay as much as I should probably. I'm going to go with Dalvin Cook. Um, I like his offense a little better and – I think he's going to have less competition for touches. Um, and hopefully Royce gets a little bit more run next year because that was another guy I was a little bit too high on going into this year that really disappointed. So I think Dalvin Cook's things are going to be set up for him as long as he can stay healthy next year. I agree. I think he's the better volume bet for next year. Devonta Freeman or Tariq Cohen? I think with Freeman, um, the one thing about him is he has probably the biggest range of options of those two. I mean, he could definitely be done. I mean, he's been banged up, um, but he also has the potential to hop back into being a uh, workhorse back in in the top offense. Um, I would imagine Coleman's gone. Um, Ito didn't really impress when he had the chance this year. Um, So he definitely could take back over that backfield. Whereas with Cohen, um, I like him in best ball, but there's just too many games where he just disappeared. I mean, even this past weekend during the wild card, he, things were set up for him and he disappointed. So um, I don't think you're necessarily going to be starting Cohen with confidence um, every week unless you're doing some best ball ball action. So I would roll the dice with Freeman knowing that he could very well bust, but also could be a big value for you. How about Rashad Penny or Matt Burita? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. I would lean... Brita, um, because I think um, 
He still would come into the year potentially on top of that depth chart, even if it's just token depth chart. I mean, he's got a pair of 100-yard rushing games this year, um, seven seven games of three-plus receptions. Um, so I think he does earn a pretty good shot of at least coming into the competition on top of the depth chart or at the very least earning a uh, split role, whereas Penny never really kind of got anything going this year um so he still obviously has a draft capital and he's got that potential but i think at least brita kind of comes in with a little bit more of a role robert woods robert woods, or aj green or aj green uh, it's hard to I, mean, I can't believe i'm going to answer that this way but i mean weeks two through 16 is low in ppr was 12 points i mean was is just so so consistent and that's what you want is consistency so um despite aj green being that big alpha receiver and having those big spike weeks um i will go with woods consistency with uh, all those 12 plus point floors every single week how about will fuller or dj moore um i will go with the guy who probably will be the number one receiver on his team rather than um, Fuller trying to compete with Kiki Cutie for those number two spots behind arguably the best receiver in football. So I'm going to go with DJ Moore this time. Marvin Jones or Mike Williams? Uh, similar to, to Moore, I think Jones is more of the potential to be one of the the go-to receivers. I'm going to say he's the 1B to Galladay's 1A in that offense. Um, so I think Jones gets a little bit more opportunity this year. And last one, how about a tight end question, Hunter Henry or Eric Ebron? I'm going to say that a healthy Jack Doyle ends Ebron's dream season um, and Henry comes back and finishes as a top five tight end next year. I like that call. Matt, I want to thank you for being here with me tonight and uh, for sharing some of your fantasy football insights and for opening up about how cystic fibrosis has affected your family. Uh, it's been really great to talk to you. And of course, my hat is off to you for winning the Fantasy Pros Accuracy Rankings Contest. Uh, before I let you go, can you remind people where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work? Uh, yes, I'm on Twitter at mr hill 9169 and i write for data dataforce fantasyfootball.com and thank you so much for having me i appreciate it i had a lot of fun i'm always happy to come on okay that is going to do it for this episode of fits on fantasy once again thank you to my guest matthew hill of dataforce fantasy football find him on twitter at mr hill 9169 that's mr hill 9169 the producer of this show is the esteemed Calm Kelly of the Republic of Ireland. Calm is also an executive producer at Rotoviz Radio and co-host of the outstanding Rotoviz Overtime Podcast. His Twitter handle is at Overtime Ireland, and I urge you to follow him if you aren't already. And special thanks to my colleague Melissa Jacobs. Be sure to check out her podcast, which you can find at thefootballgirl.com. And you can find Melissa on Twitter at thefootballgirl. Thank you to International Jet Set for providing the music. And thank you, my friend, for listening. Hey, enjoy the divisional championships this weekend. Colts Chiefs, Cowboys Rams, Chargers Patriots, Eagles Saints. Man, it is going to be a great weekend of football. I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm sure you are too. I'll be back again next week with another great guest. And I hope you'll join me once again. Until then, ta-ta.
Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.